Good evening, and thank you for coming here tonight, as you'll see from the screen there. We are looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 tonight, and hopefully those are on Zoom, and there are one or two, I can see at start, you will be able to see the slides as well, and hopefully we can follow them. So, let's um, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and read the first 11 verses. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one, and build one another up, just as you are doing. Amen. And we trust that God will bless the reading of his word. Now, I want to um, just go through how um, we are going to look at this passage tonight and what this passage is about. It's quite a tricky passage and it's a number of ways to interpret this passage and there are various opinions and many, many dear Christians who are who take the Bible seriously um, have a different view on what we might um, have tonight. And so we don't present these views or, or this interpretation in, in, in an arrogant way, I trust. But we hopefully, as we look at Scripture, we, we can let Scripture speak to us as we try to understand this passage. Now, what is this passage about? I want, to, uh, want you to note in verse 2, and it, this really gives us um, an indication of what this passage that we're dealing 
with tonight is about. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will come. This passage tonight deals with the subject of the day of the Lord. And we are going to think about that tonight and how it impact what it is and how it impacts us as i read a passage like this i think it's helpful sometimes to to look at a key verse which sort of helps unlock it helps us to understand it better and and, and i thought of verse 9 as really a, a key verse as far as um the day of the Lord and us are concerned. Paul says there, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not destined us. He's speaking to Christians here. And he's saying, God has not destined, he has not appointed us for wrath, but to obtain salvation. And bear that in mind, because I think that's key to understanding uh, this passage and understanding the day of the Lord. So I would like to think about um, this passage in, in three sections. The first section is verses 1 to 5. And really what we're thinking about there is the day of the Lord. And the people in Thessalonica, Paul says, they were fully aware of this that the day of the Lord would come. The day of the Lord, and they were fully aware. We're going to look at then the next section, which is verses 6 to 10. There Paul says, So then, let us not sleep. Let us keep awake and be sober. And then finally, Paul has a final exhortation in verse 11 he says therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing so we're going to think about these three sections so we're going to think about being aware the zoom i can cover that in the top right corner being aware then we're going to think about being awake, verses t 6 to 10. And then, finally, we're going to think about being attentive. Being attentive to one another. Being aware, being awake, being attentive. The first section, the first half, is going to be quite technical. So by the time we come to verse 6, some of you might have fallen asleep. So... Well, you'll be delighted that verse 6 is, let us not sleep, but be awake. So that will be the exhortation then. So let's um, look at this passage then in this way. If you were here last week, you will remember, or if if. If you know First Thessalonians, uh, you will remember that 
from verse 13 to 18, which we dealt with last week, Paul is dealing with the return of Christ for the church. When the Lord himself will descend and the dead will rise and those who are alive will be caught up with him. And this is often what is referred to as the rapture, the snatching away of the church. Now, I I want us to note that as Paul comes to what we know as chapter 5 and verse 1, that he is changing subject. I want to point this out because many um, believe that Paul goes on to elaborate on the rapture as he moves to chapter 5. But I I would argue that as Paul moves from chapter 4 into what we know as chapter 5, he is changing subject. And I think that's quite important um, to understand this passage. And there's a, a number of reasons um, for why I think Paul is changing subject. And I, I'll give you four reasons for that. First, think about how Paul starts verse 1. He says, Now concerning the times and the seasons. So it's a, a simple uh, phrase in Greek, peride, which just simply means literally, but about, but as to, but regarding, now concerning, as the ESV puts it. And it's a phrase that Paul uses in his writings when he moves from one subject to another. So we saw it in chapter 4, in verse 9. He'd been speaking about sanctification and sexual immorality and then he says in verse 9 now concerning brotherly love you have no need for anyone to write to you so he's changing subject there and he uses this transitional phrase uh, now regarding but as far as this is concerned and Paul it's particularly noticeable in 1 Corinthians how Paul Uh, uses this phrase as he transitions from one subject to another. So, at the beginning of uh, verse 1 of chapter 7, which deals with marriage, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And then he comes to chapter 8 and verse 1, and he says, now concerning food offered to idols. And then in chapter 12 and verse 1, having spoken about the Lord's Supper, He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts. In verse 1 of chapter 16, still in 1 Corinthians, having dealt with the subject of resurrection, Paul says, now concerning the collection for the saints. So we see that this phrase that Paul uses here, he often uses in his writings as he transitions from one subject to another. And so I would suggest to you that as Paul 
comes to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he moves from the rapture to deal with another subject. He's not speaking about the rapture here. That is um, my first reason. The second reason is that he says in verse 1, now concerning the times and seasons, the times and seasons. Now this is an interesting phrase. The idea is duration and periods. Vine says this, and I quote, Times refers to the length of the interval. Seasons refers to the characteristics of the periods. An ancient writer expresses the distinction thus. Times has to do with quantity, and seasons has to do with quality. So, he says, now concerning times and seasons. So he's now thinking about a period of time and a series of events. Now, when we think about the rapture, which Paul spoke about in chapter 4 at the end, it is something that happens, will happen in the, as a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Paul says, when he speaks about the rapture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. It, ha- it will happen in the twinkling of an eye. It's not a duration, it's not a period, it's not a series of events. It is something which will happen and it is imminent and it's the next thing in the prophetic calendar of God and it will happen in the twinkling of an eye. So it's not a matter of times and seasons uh, as far as the rapture is concerned. Third reason is that you may remember when Paul wrote about the rapture, in, he says in verse 13, I do not want you to be uninformed. I do not want you to be unaware. I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, about... And he goes on to explain the rapture. When he goes on to speak about the day of the Lord, he says, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. So there is a... To me, there seems to be a a distinction there. And we might ask the question, how come... They were fully aware of the day of the Lord. Well, if, when we come to Second Thessalonians, which we will in a, later in the summer, we will read that Paul says in chapter 2 that he, when he was in Thessalonica, which we read of in Acts chapter 17, he would only have been there for a few days, maybe a few weeks. He wasn't there for long. Um. He says in verse 5 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? He's speaking there in chapter 2 about the day of the Lord. He's using that very term in chapter 2 about the day of the Lord. And he obviously spent time speaking about this. So they were fully aware of the day of the Lord. The other reason is, and we'll come to this in a minute in more detail, but the day of the Lord is a term, an event, which is spoken of throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament. And when Paul went to Thessalonica, he went to the synagogue and he opened the Scriptures there. So 
they would perhaps have known from the Old Testament as well as from Paul's direct teaching about the day of the Lord. The rapture, on the other hand, I would suggest to you, is, is a mystery that is not revealed in the Old Testament. And it may not even have been revealed to Paul by the time he was in Thessalonica. But as he, when he came to the point when he was writing this letter, as an apostle... And, and as one to whom uh, the Holy Spirit would unfold the mysteries of the gospel more fully as the canon of scripture was uh, being put together, Paul was writing this. I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who have fallen asleep. And he goes on to speak about the rapture. So that's my third reason. The fourth reason is this very term that we're looking at in verse 2, the day of the Lord. Now, what is this, the day of the Lord? As I said a minute ago, it's, it's a, a term which is a, what we can call a, a technical term. It's a very specific term. And it is used in the Old Testament 20 times. The term, or maybe 19, the many more references perhaps, but at least 19 times specifically the term is used, the day of the Lord. The term is used four times in the New Testament. Acts chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 2, and then 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Four times in the New Testament. It is a specific term. And Paul says, you are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. I thought of, to give us, a, 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 we'll not get a full understanding of this. We've got about five, ten minutes more of, of this technical part, uh, and then we'll move on. But to get a, a feel for what the day of the Lord is, let's look at a few references in the Old Testament to the day of the Lord. And I've put... Um, some of them on the screen there and I realise that the red doesn't appear particularly uh, it's not particularly visible is it but the, what is red is the day of the Lord so this is Isaiah chapter 13 and, and as, we, as you think of, as you read this think about the rapture which is the hope of the church that Paul has spoken of when we shall meet the Lord in the clouds, and it is a joyous event. It is uh, uh, something which is about salvation. It's about hope. It's about reunion with Christ. That's the rapture. What about the day of the Lord? Wail, says Isaiah, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labour. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Amos chapter 5, 
Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and, and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? Sephaniah chapter 1. Not often you would quote Sephaniah on uh, a Sunday night, is it? The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day. A day of distress and anguish. A day of ruin and devastation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. That's how the day of the Lord is used and is spoken of. It had, in the Old Testament, it had an historic application. It was often um, referring to a specific time of event when, there was, when God brought judgment upon the nation, but... It also had an eschatological uh, aspect to a future um, um, meaning, pointing forward. And as we see here, it is a day to be feared. It's not a day to look forward to. It's a day of darkness. And gloom, it's a day of destruction. If we turn one page over to Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse chapter one, sorry, Second Thessalonians chapter one, I believe this is a description of what will happen. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, verse 5 of chapter 1, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This is the day of the Lord being described, a day of vengeance when Christ will come, not in the clouds to catch, to snatch his church, his bride, to be with him, but when he will come to earth and set his feet on earth and will judge the nations. 
It is what the book of Revelation deals with from chapter 6 to chapter 19. And in the, at the end of that period, it says in chapter 19 that the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horse. It was the one who was on the white horse was the king of kings and lord of lords. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. It is what the Lord Jesus referred in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, when he spoke about the Son of Man coming in glory, and he would separate the sheep from the goats. It will come. The day of the Lord will come. It will come as a thief. A thief is unwelcome and he is unexpected he doesn't announce his coming beforehand it will come suddenly before it will come people will say peace and security there is not necessarily going to be peace and security prior to his coming again but people will say peace and security but then sudden Destruction will come. But Paul says then in verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. We, Christians, will not be surprised by the day because we will not be there. We will be snatched away before. We are not of the night and of the darkness. It will not break upon us. And as we saw in verse 9, which I think is a a key verse in understanding this, is that we are not destined for wrath. We will not have to go through this. We have been destined to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. And I believe that that salvation will happen before the the day of the Lord will break upon this earth. It might be helpful to have a a, a, a little sort of um, drawing or illustration of, of what we mean here. This is the day of grace. The Lord Jesus has died for us on the cross. Imminently, he will return for his church and they will be snatched away. Following which, the Bible speaks about a period of tribulation. Seven years of tribulation. After which the Lord Jesus will come with his saints, not for his saints, with his saints. And he will come to judge. And that is what I think is the day of the Lord. Now some would say that the day of the Lord extends to the whole of the tribulation period. And it sort of culminates in the the judgment at the end of the tribulation period. 
But there will be judgment at the end of the tribulation period, and then there will be a, a, a millennial kingdom, and after which there will be the great white throne that we read of in the book of Revelation chapter 20. So this is how I understand the first five verses of First Thessalonians chapter 5, speaking about the day of the Lord and what it is, when it will be, and upon whom it will come. Before we move on, I just want to challenge anyone here tonight. Where do you stand? What if the Lord Jesus came today for his church? It will happen in the twinkling of an eye. There'll be no time for you to put your faith and trust in him at that point. After the rapture, as we've seen, there will be judgment, a day of gloom. A fearful day. Not a day that you will want to be in. And so I want to urge you tonight. If you're not saved. If you're not put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. To do so tonight. So that you can have this glorious hope. That we have. That the church has. That Christ will come for us and take us to be with him and so we come to the next sections verses 6 to 10 and now Paul is moving on to a practical challenge on the back of their awareness they were fully aware now he urges them to be awake it is good to know God's future plan. It's very important to look at prophecy and, and to try to understand it. And we realize that there are, this is difficult to fully understand. But if it doesn't motivate us to walk more closely with the Lord and to live holier lives then it is of no use. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, having spoken about the day of the Lord, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Since all these things are going to happen, what sort of people ought you to be? And that's the challenge here as well. Paul says, so then, because of this, because of the judgment that is coming, let us not sleep as others do let us keep awake and be sober. 
We need to stay alert and we need to be clear-headed. We need to stay alert and be clear-headed. We, as Christians, we belong to the day and not the night. The people of the night sleep and the people of the night get drunk at night. That's why it's called a nightclub. That's what happens. But we are people of the day. And so we are to be awake. What a tragedy that we can be so indifferent to the coming of the Lord. That we are asleep. We must be watchful and vigilant as we wait his return. Maintaining self-discipline in view of the great events to come. Verse 8 says, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober. And then he says, Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Paul here uses the, the analogy that he likes uh, and uses in many places the analogy of the soldier. And we are soldiers. As Christians, we are soldiers. And we need protection. And the armor of God provides protection. We, when we think about the armor of God, we, we usually think about Ephesians 6, don't we? We think about, Paul says, put on the armor of God. Well, here we have the armor of God, and Paul uses this analogy again. And it's taken from Isaiah 59, uh, really. And Paul speaks of two pieces of armor. He speaks about the breastplate and the helmet. And these were really the vital pieces of the armor. The breastplate gave protection really from neck down to the waist. And front and back. It wasn't just protecting the chest itself. It protected all the vital organs. The helmet, of course, protected the head, the brain. And, and Paul used this analogy. And, and just as a soldier needs protection as he goes to war, we need protection in our walk, in our fight. We need our hearts, our heart and our mind need to be protected. And so Paul says, be sober, having put on, having put on. The idea is that this is something that we do and then we put it on and we keep it on. Having put it on. It's not something that we do occasionally, but it's, we do it and then we keep it on. We need constant protection. And so we need to keep the armor of God on at all times. What is the armor of God? Here, Paul speaks about the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In chapter three, sorry, in chapter one of First Thessalonians, Paul spoke about their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness in hope. 
There, in chapter 1, Paul uses these three cardinal Christian virtues of faith, love, and hope as what motivated them to action, motivated them to activity, work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Here in chapter 4, chapter 5 rather, it is our defense. It is our defense. Our faith in God, our love for our brothers and sisters, and our hope in the future salvation that we have. These protect us in our fight. So let us put on And let us keep on the breastplate of faith and love. And let's put on and keep on the helmet of hope. Being mindful of the salvation that is waiting for us. Let's move on to the last verse in our passage. Verse 11. Therefore... Encourage one another. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Here's an exhortation, a challenge to be attentive to one another. It was not sufficient that Paul wrote a letter to them. They in turn needed to encourage and build one another up. This wasn't a responsibility of a, one individual. This wasn't the responsibility of a group of people with special gifts. Paul challenges everyone to be attentive to one another. They were already doing it. But it didn't stop Paul from mentioning it again. He reminded them. It's a bit like in verse 9 of chapter 4. He says that you have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. They were loving one another, but Paul urged them to do it more and more. Here, he's encouraging them to, or he's challenging them to encourage one another, and to build one another up. We need to be reminded of this, don't we? And these verses would indicate that the Christians that Paul was writing to, they took advantage of occasions of conversation to build each other up and to encourage one another. It wasn't reserved It wasn't something that they did at a certain time in the church calendar. It's what they did spontaneously and in conversation. There's a lovely verse in Malachi chapter 3 verse 16. It says this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written 
before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And we need to do the same. Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer to that question is, yes, you are your brother or your sister's keeper. And so we need to be attentive to our brothers and our sisters and to seek to encourage and to build up. And that's an expression of the oneness that we have in Christ. And I think that this is something that we do at Fernley. And it's encouraging to, to see um, the interest that um, many take in the younger people to help them and to encourage them. It's wonderful to see. But let's continue to do it and to do it more and more. We're very good at discouraging one another and we're good at tearing down. But Paul says, therefore, encourage one another. And build one another up. So as we think about our great hope as believers. As we think about the great judgment that is coming upon this world. Let us be alert. Let us be awake. Let us be clear headed. Vigilant. And let us look out for one another let's pray father we thank you for your word and we thank you that we have a a fantastic and amazing hope god has not you have not destined us for wrath but to obtain salvation through our lord jesus christ who died for us and we thank you that he died for us we thank that he rose again We thank that he will come back one day and we will be with him. We thank for a wonderful hope that we have. And with this hope in mind and with an awareness that judgment is coming, Father, help us to be sober, to be vigilant, to be alert, to be clear-headed, to have a passion to reach the lost and to encourage one another, we pray. Bless us tonight, we ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.